Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. I think no one better to put everything into perspective uh, than our first guest this hour, uh, Professor Kishore Mabubani, the Distinguished Fellow, the Asia Research Institute at NUS. Uh, welcome today, uh, Kishore. Great to have you on with us again. Uh, happy to be with you. Uh, the subject is very sad. It, it is just unbelievable. And uh, Kishore, you had an op-ed yesterday in the Straits Times uh, with the title of The Oxygen of ASEAN. And I know from your many years as a diplomat and, and working around the region, you know the organization intimately. First, first of all, take us through the, the, the gist of your, uh, of your op-ed article yesterday in the Straits Times. Well, the main, the main point I wanted to make in that article is that, you know, the, the, the tragedy about many in Singapore is that most Singaporeans are not aware that ASEAN is responsible in a big way for Singapore's uh, peace and prosperity. Hmm. I mean, we live in the most diverse region on planet Earth, you know. Out of 650 million people, there are 250 million Muslims, 150 million Christians, 150 million Buddhists, uh, Hinayana Buddhists, Mahayana Buddhists, you have Taoists, Confucianists, Hindus and Communists. No, no other region on planet Earth has as much diversity as Southeast Asia does. And yet, this is a peaceful region, hmm. which is amazing. And that's also that's only because of ASEAN. You know, when I first joined, went for an ASEAN meeting, Exactly 50 years ago in 1971, there was a room full of distrust and misunderstanding and suspicions among the ASEAN countries. Mm. So what's remarkable is how far we have come. And a lot of it was due to the good work done by Singapore's founding generation of leaders, especially Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, Mr. Rajaratnam. And that's something that Singaporeans don't appreciate. They, they, they just assume this is natural. It is not natural. It took a massive amount of effort to create the peace and prosperity that Southeast Asia has. And, and Kishore, as we as we think about that, and, and we all have seen this in the past thirty years, especially right, this dramatic rise of of Asian countries across the region. What do you think was the key moment or the key point that started to coalesce the ASEAN uh, ASEAN coalition, if I can put it that way? Well, I think there were, there were, of course, different phases uh, in the history of uh, ASEAN. ASEAN was founded, by the way, as a pro-American club. Hmm. <laughs> Most people are unaware of that. And in fact, China denounced the creation of ASEAN as a neo-imperialist creation because, you know, at that time, the ASEAN countries, the five founding members, were frightened of becoming dominoes uh, as a result of the spread of communism in Southeast Asia. Yeah. So when there was a big war going on in uh, Indochina, the ASEAN countries came together to protect themselves. And then, of mm. course, that was phase one. Phase two, of course, when after Vietnam invaded Cambodia in uh, December 1978, then the ASEAN countries came together to reverse that occupation of Cambodia. It took 10 years, but it succeeded. But phase three is the most interesting phase because after having, a, uh, in a sense, having a contest against Vietnam for over 10 years, remarkably enough, five years after that ended, Vietnam joined ASEAN. Hmm. <laughs> That's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's almost like Russia joining the European Union. Right. It hasn't happened. <laughs> but in, in Southeast Asia, Vietnam, our geopolitical competitor, became a partner. So 
this is the magic of ASEAN that mm. people don't understand that it has actually achieved a lot of miracles mm. uh, in its uh, 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 over 50 years of uh, existence. And we should, rec- we should appreciate it, especially since Singapore is one of the biggest beneficiaries of ASEAN. Mm. Prof Kishore, you mentioned that you know, it started off as distrust to what it's now. So could you share with us some of the key turning points that allowed that, that shift to happen? Well, I would say it was. Uh, it wasn't as, as I explained in my book, the ASEAN miracle. ASEAN was brought together because of four letter words. The first one begins with F, and I'll spell it. It's F E A R, fear. <laughs> and uh, fear was a critical factor. It wasn't love that brought ASEAN together. It mm. was fear, and the fear was real. And the second uh, is uh, the second four-letter word is L-U-C-K, luck. Mm. We happen to have exceptionally good leaders. You know, I would mention Lee, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, uh, President Suharto, the Foreign Minister of Indonesia, Ali Alatas, the Foreign Minister of Singapore, Rajaratnam. So we were lucky to have very good leaders. And we were also lucky that we were on the right side in the geopolitical contest between the United States and Soviet Union, we were on the side of the United States and the United States won and so ASEAN also benefited. But the last four-letter word, which is a very important, I mean, you all may laugh, but it's real. I'll spell it. It is G-O-L-F, golf. <laughs> and I was present on the golf course when significant agreements were made as a result of playing golf. And again, that's something, and I'm, I'm glad that Professor Jayakumar has confirmed this uh, in his books uh, on diplomacy, and he explains how playing golf with his uh, fellow ASEAN foreign ministers resulted <laughs> in, in agreements. <laughs> so well, whatever it takes to get the golf. job done, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, very yeah. interesting. Uh, we're, uh, of course, no, you're no uh, uh, stranger to most of our, our listeners and viewers, but we are speaking with Professor Kishore Mabubani, a distinguished fellow at the Asia Research Institute at NUS, of course, the uh, former dean of the Lee Kuan Yew School. And, and uh, Kishore, let's, let's fast forward now to where we are today. And mm-hmm. traditionally, ASEAN has, has had a policy, has spoken and unspoken, of staying out of the internal affairs of other companies. Uh, countries. Uh, but we have seen Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia be quite critical of uh, the junta following the coup uh, that has most recently happened in Myanmar. Uh, first of all, is, is that surprising you at all that they are taking a strong stand, a, a verbal stand versus working behind the scenes? Because I, I know that you have talked about being more or less a proponent of working behind the scenes versus trying to score international points, you know, uh, uh, loudly on the international stage. But are, are you... Are you surprised at all that especially these three countries, our two neighbors and Singapore, have, have taken this fairly vocal stand? Well, I, I'm not surprised at all because I think it's very clear that we cannot remain silent mm. when innocent civilian demonstrators are shot at. I mean, that's unacceptable. Mm. That's crossing a red line. And I'm very glad that the foreign minister of Singapore, Vivian Balakrishnan, has spoken out very clearly uh, uh, on this subject. And as you know, I cite him in my uh, Straits Times uh, article mm-hmm. also. So we have to send a very clear signal to the military in Myanmar that this is unacceptable. But at the same time, we, we mustn't do what 
the Western countries do, which is just to condemn and walk away. No, we don't do that. We will continue speaking uh, to both sides in Myanmar. And I, I must say, I commend the Indonesian foreign minister, Retno Masudi, for her courage in saying, I will talk to both sides, even though, as you know, she was criticized. Why are you talking to the military? Well, if you don't talk to the military, you don't get a solution because if the military is not part of the solution, yeah. the military is a part of the problem. Yeah. And, and, and there's no way, if you want to be, the only way you arrive at a solution in Myanmar is through a very realistic understanding uh, of the political situation in Myanmar. And there's no way in which either the army alone or the National League of Democracy led by Aung San Suu Kyi can, can, com can control the country. They both have to work together for very complex reasons. And so the best thing that ASEAN can try to do, and I think that's what the Foreign Minister of Indonesia is trying to do, is to try and persuade both sides to go back to the status quo ante where the general retains his post uh, in the military and Aung San Suu Kyi returns to a post as state councillor. And that's the best solution for both sides. It won't be happen right away, but you've got to keep nudging and pushing slowly, slowly till we arrive there. How do we do that, though, in a time when, you know, the, the military and the police uh, – and we have seen this over decades, right, uh, culminating in a, in, a, in a massacre in front of the U.S. Embassy so many years ago uh, where the security mm. forces are perfectly willing to obey orders to open fire and kill uh, peaceful protesters. And we've seen it already this round. You know, 1,500 people already at least have been detained uh, and, and, and dozens have been killed. This, mm. I get the slowly, slowly concept, but slowly, slowly is also equaling people being killed and, and detained and perhaps who knows what's happening in, during their, de their detention. How, how do we speed up that process with a, a military regime mm. that seems immune from external pressure? Well, the, my only response to you is, what is the alternative? You imagine any country sending its military forces yeah. inside Myanmar to stop the military of Myanmar. It will not happen. Right, and unfortunately, in the real world, yeah. uh, this is the reality of geopolitics. This is the reality of uh, diplomacy. We don't live in a perfect world. There are no perfect solutions. There are only imperfect solutions. Yeah. And I would say the ASEAN method of dealing with this situation is, for example, better, as, you know, as I cite in my article, if you look at the humanitarian intervention carried out by United States, UK and France in Libya, the net result of that humanitarian intervention is that Libya has now remained a broken country for a long time. And so, the, as, as Barack Obama admitted, you know, we went in there, we didn't plan for the day after and so it's a it's a much 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 bigger mess. So I think we should learn lessons uh, from all previous failed humanitarian interventions, whether it's Libya, Iraq, Syria, and and and, and adopt the less imperfect solution of the uh, ASEAN countries, which is to try and nudge uh, everyone back. And of course, talking to as many people as possible to quietly and discreetly uh, apply pressure on uh, Myanmar. And here, as in another article which I wrote, uh, I did suggest that the what happened in Myanmar also provides a geopolitical opportunity for China and the U.S. to collaborate quietly to 
quietly, jointly apply pressure on Myanmar to go back to the past. Mm. And I see that, but of course, if it happens, we will never see it, we will never hear about it, but I hope it's happening quietly behind the scenes. But how tough is that, you know, with the the U.S.-China relationship and the uh, U.S.-Russia relationship, both of which China and Russia are playing, it is it has been reported are playing some role right now behind the scenes with Myanmar, and we're not exactly sure what that amounts to. But the the relationships are so fractured right now between uh, North America and uh, Russia and China that that would seem like an outside outside chance of that happening, would it not? Well, uh, you know, as you know, I've written a book called Has China Won on the U.S.-China Relationship. And, of course, it is very clear that on the surface – the, the new Biden administration must be tough on, must be seen to be tough on China because the political environment in Washington, D.C. has become very anti-China. Mm. But I also know that the Biden administration has got some very realistic people in the administration who also understand that the all-out policies of the Trump administration uh, in going against China did not work, did not weaken China, did not help America. So I think the U.S. will find a new balance uh, under the Biden administration. But it has to happen very slowly and cautiously. And it's best if it's done behind the scenes without any public posturing on either side in front of the media. Uh, The U.S. has already announced sanctions uh, in a very public way uh, against uh, certain members of the the Myanmar uh, military establishment. Is that is that the right way to go? Uh, sanctions should members of ASEAN be uh, putting in their own sanctions of whatever level they could do it? Well, actually, Kofi Annan and I co-authored an article once for Project Syndicate, in which we argued. Kofi Annan, as you know, the late Secretary General of the UN, yeah. and I argued that sanctions never work. Mm. You know, the question is when you deal with difficult situations like Myanmar, do you want to do good? Or do you want to feel good? Mm. If you want to feel good, you impose sanctions and say, oh, I've done something. But they had, sanctions have had no impact over the years in transforming uh, countries. It's a result of larger geopolitical uh, forces that uh, are at play here. And so I, in, if, if I, I don't criticize the United States for imposing sanctions. If, if it's a way of sending a signal uh, to the regime in uh, Myanmar, but the United States should not stop at sanctions. The United States should also carry out active diplomacy, work with other countries quietly behind the scenes. And so, by the way, we have not mentioned India. Mm. India is an equally critical player uh, in Myanmar because Myanmar is geographically uh, caught between China and India. And of course, as you know, during the British colonial times, uh, Myanmar was ruled from India. All right. So there are these deep connections on the other side too. Hmm. Very interesting. It, it is just it's uh, it's just a, t- a tragedy that is an ongoing tragedy now for a number of weeks. And uh, and what do you, what do you think? I mean, look into your Kishore Mabubani crystal ball. I know it, you've had it for many decades now, and it usually is <laughs> is right at some level. Uh, but what do you think is going to be the eventual outcome? And and would you even venture a timeline on it? Oh, I would definitely not venture uh, a timeline on it. And, you know, you know, history is made also by people. Mm. And uh, uh, one of the strengths uh, of Aung San Suu Kyi uh, is that she's very stubborn. 
and she is a formidable woman. I respect her a great deal. But one of the paradoxical weaknesses of Aung San Suu Kyi is that she's also very stubborn. So, you know, her, her stubbornness has been a strength and kept her going through many years when she was detained under military rule. Yeah. So she's not, she's, this lady doesn't bend easily. So don't, don't expect any uh, easy compromises. And I would say the military of Myanmar is equally hard and stubborn, by the way. And I, you, it's important to understand the psyche of the Myanmar military because the Myanmar military believes... And there's some reason for believing that, that Burma or Myanmar is such a diverse country. It's got, you know, the, the Burmese majority, uh, about 50 to 60 percent. So 30 to 40 percent, uh, there are lots of minorities. And the Myanmar military believes that if you don't have a strong military, the country will fall apart. Mm. Mm. So there's a reason why the military also wants to keep itself strong. Mm and resilient because they believe that they are the force which is holding the country together when other forces are coming in. So both sides, I think you have to understand the, the psychology of the military, you have to understand the psychology of Aung San Suu Kyi if you're going to try and get a solution. And you realize it's not going to be easy. So I would not venture a timeline, but I would say that if we all work together and if we all, for example, uh, convey the same message, it would have an impact. Of course, the worst case scenario is that if the U.S. and China land up on opposite sides in Myanmar, then the problem will get much worse. Hmm. Then it will, get, it will be a terrible situation. Uh, and I hope that that doesn't uh, happen uh, at all in, in, in Myanmar. That's why I've been, I wrote an article saying the U.S. and China should cooperate in going back, bringing back the status quo anti rather than trying to have a contest inside Myanmar. Yeah, uh, so much going on, as you say, behind the scenes. One last question, and that is I'll bring it back directly and squarely to Singapore. Uh, if uh, the foreign minister or the prime minister were to call you and say, what do you think we should do next, uh, Professor Mabubani? What would you tell the Singapore government to do? Uh, what role should it play in this uh, and is there a, a, an opportunity here for a real leadership moment for Singapore? Well, I can tell you we are very blessed in Singapore. We have exceptionally competent leadership uh, in Singapore. I can assure you that the Prime Minister and Foreign Minister of Singapore are very much on top of the situation. They are acutely aware of the uh, history of the issue. And I'm, I have no doubt whatsoever that they're working very hard uh, behind the scenes. And I think they should continue to work very hard behind the scenes because that's how you get the most uh, effective actions. And in fact, in some ways, the less Singapore says publicly, the more effective it can be privately. So I think we have maintained the right balance so far in Singapore. As always, Kishore, thank you so much for your, uh, your comments, your insight. Uh, Professor Kishore Mabubani, Distinguished Fellow, the Asia Research Institute, National University of Singapore. Uh, his op-ed article yesterday appeared in the Straits Times, The Oxygen of ASEAN. You can see that in the home edition or, of course, online as well. Thanks again for uh, being with us today, Kishore. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you yeah. for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.